Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. First brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy growing up in the small town in Canada? Um, I'm going to say CCM. You know, it was... It was the skate I always wanted, and um, a new pair of CCM tacks would have been, God, like winning the lottery. And um, so that was the first brand uh, that, that I knew had a performance angle and a storytelling angle to it. But I thought, yeah, one day I'm going to wear CCM tacks. Now, oddly enough, I went to work for Bauer, um, CCM's number one competitor. Spent three years at Bauer, and, and I'm a Bauer loyalist and have been, and so are my children. So um, I never had that new pair of CCM tax ever. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show... I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Phil Cook, the first ever Chief Marketing Officer for the WNBA, the 26-year-old professional women's basketball league. The WNBA is valued at more than a billion dollars with the teams included and is 42% owned by the WNBA, 42% by the NBA, and the balance by other investors. My guest, Phil, is Canadian by birth. He was raised in Peterborough, Ontario, and attended Wilfrid Laurier University, where he studied psychology, sociology, and business. Phil then worked nearly 25 years at Nike, working primarily in basketball and in women's sports. Phil just finished his first year with the WNBA, and this is his first stint as a CMO. This is my conversation with a guy who knows more about basketball and brand building than just about anyone in the world. Here's Phil Cook. Phil, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You have spent a good portion of your life in the basketball world. Lucky you. And I'd like to know, was this intentional when you began your career? No. Um, I'll tell you, I was a fan of basketball. I grew up small town Canada, a couple hours north of Toronto. Um, so. You know, I was introduced very early to the game of ice hockey, as you can imagine. Um, baseball was my passion, uh, and badminton was my flyer. And those are the three sports I, I really focused um, playing anyway. Uh, when it came to consumption, you know, basketball was right there. I was a Sixers fan, as devout a Sixers fan as you could find. And, and Me too. 
that was a result of my best friend being a Celtics fan. So I had two choices. <laughs> I could be Sixers or I could be Lakers because I sure wasn't going to be Celtics. Um, and it led to Sixers because they were East Coast and I was East Coast and I had a better chance of watching a game. So um, those one one games per week, you know, yeah. matchups that we that we were given on CBS back in the day uh, when the Sixers were on, I was riveted. And that was kind of the beginning of really my passion towards basketball. Do you play now? Oh, no, 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 no. That's that's a game for young and, and agile and athletic uh, folks. And, and I am neither. So will the Sixers take it this year? Nope. They will not take no, it this year. No, and it's no. it's okay. It's part of the story. I, yeah. I like the narrative, right? I like um, trust the process. You know, it's been going on for a decade or more now. Um, I, I, I don't mind being in that position. I think they're a competitive team. I think they play hard. I think, you know, while I'm not a big fan of James Harden, I think he's a, he's a good piece to that team right mm-hmm. now. Uh, Embiid is unbelievable, but I don't think they have the pieces, I think. Um, as my friends at Wharton Moneyball say often, you know, you, there's no team that will win, uh, with a back to the back, uh, uh, back to the basket center as their, as their key piece. And, and I think that falls very, very true for the Sixers. Now you're in the off season right now, the WNBA and your opening weekend is May 6th and it looks yes. really exciting. Yeah. So I want to know, is the off season more or less intense for you? Than the season itself, I think uh, it's more intense. I think when you're in planning mode um, and you're trying to make sure that all the pieces are in place, um, that seems to be the highest kind of time of of um, anxiety is the wrong word, but attention for sure. Mm-hmm. Kathy reminds us, your CEO, Kathy, yeah, our CEO, yep. yeah, our commissioner, yeah, Kathy's the commissioner of the WNBA, and she reminds us how many days to draft, and then we know that you know. Just over a month after that, we we go to opening weekend, and and those days will come. The ten pole moments come fast and furious once the dominoes start to go, and and um, so now is the anticipation, right? And that's when you're planning, you're making decisions now. Once the season starts, a lot of our decisions are on strategy and and what's our approach, what's our tone going to be. That's kind of in place. We just try to execute as best we can from moment to moment, and ensuring that we're we're getting the the stories out there that we had been anticipated and planned in the preseason. But now is is going through that vetting process. You know, what are the stories? What are the the platforms? Um, how are we going to invest from moment to moment? It's, it's fun. This is this is when marketing is is at its best. You know, when you still have time to make some decisions and you haven't spent all your money yet. Um, so we like this time of year. What's the toughest decision or most challenging decision you're wrestling with in the preseason? I think, um, you know, we have 144 athletes in the league. I think there's 144 athletes who have amazing stories both on and off the court. We often wrestle with what are the stories we want to tell of, you know, performance competition on the court? What are the stories we want to talk around culture off the court? What are the the social justice and and, Mm -hmm. uh, purpose initiatives that we want to highlight? And who are the athletes who best represent that? We wrestle with that. There's, there's, there's a finite amount of, of um, content that we can put out there. So we have to be smart and strategic and, and, again, find those athletes who best represent, you know, the voice of the W, the voice of their teams and, and authentic to themselves. And so there's so many options for us that, that you know, we, we leave a lot on the cutting room floor, but um, it's a good, good problem to have. You're the first CMO of the WNBA, and it's your first CMO role after working 24 years plus at Nike. So tell us the story of what compelled you to leave Nike. 25 years, 24 and a half is a long time. I was at P&G 25 years. It was very much a part of my blood. 
So tell us what compelled you to leave and become the first CMO of this amazing organization. Well, truth be known, it uh, wasn't my choice to leave the Nike. You know, it was a choice that was made by Nike. I was laid off in October of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, casually of, of, you know, changing business decisions and direction. Um, the times were, were shifting a little bit. And um, I was part of a collection of folks who were otherwise uh, asked to, to move on to the next. I knew I still had a lot in me. I knew I wanted a, a job where I could impact uh, sport and culture. And um, I had had you know, a number of conversations with Kathy leading up to uh, coming on board. And, and you know, when we each recognized that there was an opportunity for me to join the W, it was a very swift onboarding from there. Um, you know, a number of interviews kind of get to know, you know, Kathy and her strategic vision. Um, and once I heard the opportunities that was in front of me, it was a really easy decision from a business point of view. You know, the toughest decision was convincing my wife and two children to move across the country from, you know, cushy Oregon, you know, yeah. where it rains a little bit, um, you know, to the big fast city of New York City. But um, I have two boys, 15 and 12, and, you know, they, they embrace the, the, the part of the journey that um, will forever kind of shape, you know, how they move forward. And, and so once I got their sign off and, and my very, very supportive wife, Kate's uh, approval that, yeah, let's go do this. This is going to be an amazing chapter in our lives. It was a really easy decision for me to come and join Kathy and continue to do the work that I had started at Nike. And that was look for ways to, to help grow and elevate and bring a, you know, shine a brighter light on the women's basketball business. Cause that at Nike was a huge opportunity for us to continue to serve that underserved consumer for, for, you know, that was going on for so long, uh, to do this from the other side of the table was, uh, you know, just a perfect opportunity for me to, to, to jump into. Your boys must think this is a pretty cool job though. I mean, they, they must, <laughs> they must love saying what their dad does. They do. You know what? They've, they've been the recipient of some pretty cool experiences themselves. Nike unlocked some access sure. to, to events and games and, and personalities and people that otherwise, um, you know, without the Nike connection, they, they may not have had. Um, you know, they're both very athletic and um, they have a real passion for, for sport and a real understanding of the game. And now they get kind of an insider's view. So um, they do love it. And they think that it's pretty cool that my dad's a CMO of a women's basketball league, yeah. right? It's, it's not lost on them. That simple, um, you know, fact. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website. And then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So tell us a bit about that. W is 26 years old. Why did they decide now is the right time to bring in their first CMO? You know, Kathy's been been pretty consistent. You know, she took the job on, you know, following her very, very uh, amazing career at Deloitte because she saw the opportunity herself to to really see and bring um, a change to, to, you know, women's sports in general and, and leading with the WNBA. And she was able to, to share that vision with, again, not only me, but a lot of people who have joined the WNBA recently, 
media partners, teams, everyone else, and and more importantly, the athletes. And she has a tremendous vision for where this is going to go. And and there's a lot of chatter of growth, right? And you 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 hear it every day. We've become a very relevant league uh, on the sports pages of of North America. And you know that's always been our vision, right? We 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 want to be we want to be heard. We want to we want to lead conversations. We just don't want to follow. And she was able to convince me that this, you know, the CMO role and and the recently hired chief uh, revenue officer role are two roles that really bring some authenticity and and some commitment to what we're trying to get what we're trying to get done here. And and that is grow the league and, and make it profitable. And and once that happens, then you know all the athletes, all the teams are the beneficiaries of that. And and you know we want to see or present the W as a as a sound business investment for our sponsors. And uh, a great entertainment and sports avenue for our fans. And again, her vision is 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 coming to life. You saw that with the revenue raise, you know, the capital raise yep. a couple of weeks ago. That's just one, you know, illustration, one sign that that you know other people beyond you know the thirty or so of us who are here every day grinding out in the WC, right? And and that's very inspiring for the team as well. Phil, put us in your shoes. You come into a new role, a new organization. You move across the country. So where do you start? You know, you're coming in, you don't have a precedent. There's not someone who left the role. You're creating the role. You're in a new organization. Walk us through what this year has been like. Give us a bit of a window into what the CMO of the W does. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it was humbling. Um, I can tell you, I, I thought I had a pretty good sense of what the job would be. Um, you know, you talk to enough people about the opportunity that exists um, tremendous momentum, right? Just go in and just keep running the ball down the field or keep dribbling the ball up the court, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, and, and I was humbled by what I didn't know, but what it takes to run a league and all of the considerations you have to have as a marketer in this position. You know, I come from a background, Nike, where you're always in service of the consumer, right? You are making decisions with with one person in mind, and that is the consumer. What's in the best interest of the consumer? And and you come here, and and while that's that's a very very similar uh, perspective on on our investments and the decisions we make, you know, what's in the best interest of our, of our fan. There's other considerations that I didn't recognize were as important as they were, but they they swiftly became. Uh, very relevant for me. And that is you know, what's in the best interest of the 144 athletes as we tell their stories and what's in the best interest of the 12 teams um, and, and how are we going to help the teams? And especially I came in at a very, very odd time in, in kind of the sports, um, you know, the annals of sport, right? During, during COVID, uh, we just come out of the, the bubble, had a you know, relatively successful, you know, very successful bubble season, but a relatively successful season overall. So I inherited kind of some momentum coming out of that. There was a lot of very, very tired, um, but very motivated, you know, folks around, uh, you know, both in the league and the teams and the athletes have uh, all felt very good about what had just come, you know, come about in 2020. We were going into our 25th season. So you had a, a benchmark moment that we could celebrate. And as a marketer, you know, you want to rally around a story and, and start to, to, again, continue to put your building blocks against, you know, a big idea. And our big idea was celebration of 25 years with the longest standing, you know, female sports league in North America. And that's not by accident. And we wanted to make sure that we recognize those who laid the, the foundation for us as a league the first 25 years, but really try to set the, set the tone for where we're going to go for the next 25 and beyond. And, and 
So I inherited that and I inherited a team that had done a tremendous amount of work before I got there. So we had, we had a vision for where we wanted to go. We had uh, a story to tell around, around, you know, count it in, in our 25th season. It was my job now just to impart this sense of curiosity and what if and bigger thinking for the team here. And let's, let's think beyond execution and let's start to be a little more strategic in, in how we approach not only year 25, but beyond. And, and that's really what I did. I, I learned uh, you know, I had a full year of learning. It was a, it was a, a, a one-year master's program in, in how a league is run. And Kathy, again, tremendous access for me, granted me tremendous access to, to the board of governors, to the teams, uh, to the players, so that I could learn as much as I could in the sponsors, so I could learn as much as I could uh, in preparation for season 26. While it was tiring, it was, it was very learned, and, and uh, we've created just a great team here now. We've added some folks to our team in marketing. And, and there's a real passion to, to kind of, you know, we're very excited about the season that's ahead and, 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 and to move on. So, you know, I spent a year prepping the team for this year and, and away we go. What are you happiest about over the last year in terms of your role? I think the team over the course of the year took the opportunity to see what's possible, right? We, we made some investments. We took some risks. We, we ventured into, into new territories. Um, through the lens of innovation, right? We tried some things uh, around data tracking. We, we launched our first NFTs, we had very serious discussions about bolstering our position in, in the space of wagering and, and fantasy sports. And, mm-hmm. and now we see where this is leading into, into season 26. People really see that we no longer have to be waiting for permission to do things, right? They now have the momentum as we go into season 26. We, we don't want to ask permission. We're just going to go do things. We, we want to lead. Uh, we don't want to just lead women's sports. We don't want to just lead women's basketball. We want to lead in, in how a league is presented to its fans. But I'm most proud of, you know, beyond my marketing team is understanding and realizing how players, team, and league are all aligned on so many aspects of the game, on the culture that surrounds the game on the opportunity we have to influence social justice and, and purpose in society. And, and that is a very unique positioning in the world of sports when all entities from league team and players all are aligned in, in again, the same direction. We don't all agree. And, and, you know, you can read it every day that there's some disagreements in, in, you know, and how, how funds are invested or um, in our collective bargaining agreement. But, you know, we're all very intent on on growing the league, growing the league together. Sounds like a great year. Anything you're not happy about in the past year? I mean, we always want things to go faster, but sounds like a lot of innovation, a lot of relationship building, a lot of visioning with your team. Anything you're not happy about? Yeah, I think I could have uh, maybe done a better job of um, resting the team. You know, they're they're a relentless group and. Mm-hmm. They'll only stop working when you ask them to stop. And I, I think, you know, I could blame COVID and say that, that it was my inability to be with them every day that, that you know, didn't allow me to see. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there were some people who, who probably, you know, deserved more credit for the work they did, um, probably deserved more relief from, you know, some of the efforts that they put in. And I wish I'd been more cognizant and aware of that, um, you know, from a, from a leadership perspective. You know, I, I learned over time, you know, just, just the impact that, you know, 
all of the factors, internal, the ones that we can control, and the ones we can't have impacted my staff. And, and you know, I wish I'd have been a little, a little smarter about some of those, um, you know, some of those impacts. But overall, you know, the team has been amazingly responsive and respectful and, you know, very happy in the end. But I think there were some times where we probably could have done a, a, a better job of recognizing, you know, some of the efforts that were, that were exhausting the team. You've talked a bit about how marketing a league is different from marketing Nike products and services. I would like you to talk a bit about how Nike prepared you for this and maybe in ways that Nike did not prepare you for this. I mean, Nike is one of the obviously most admired companies in the world. They've stayed relevant for decades and decades. Everyone studies them. So what most about Nike prepared you for this? new challenge and where did you feel maybe not as prepared you know um storytelling is at the at the center of, of of any good marketing campaign and and nike does a pretty good job of storytelling you know products athletes moments sure do um i think having that training and that discipline to ensure that there's an emotional connection between what you want to say and 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 what the consumer what the fan hears is, is critical uh, to good storytelling. And I think bringing that muscle into, into the WNBA, again, we have 144 athletes that have amazing stories behind them. Um, we want to tell those stories. And, and um, putting the athlete at the center of that storytelling is an amazing uh, privilege that we have, you know, as, as marketers of the W. So just that simple aspect of marketing really has, has again, given me a clear sight of, of how we want to move this forward as in, in, in terms of, of elevating the profile of our athletes, you know, creating some household names and, and really you know, giving fans a, a, a reason to care emotionally about, about our game. And because it's going to be through the lens of the athletes and, and how they compete on the court and how they live their lives off the court. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You've mentioned your C, your commissioner, a couple times already, Kathy. Yeah. Uh, who had a storied career at Deloitte, was CEO for several years. It seems like you two should be a pretty powerful team, right? She's got all this experience in management consulting. You have all this experience in sports marketing. Uh, she, you, you got to know her in the recruiting process, I'm sure. Talk a bit about that relationship. The CEO slash CMO relationship so important. If that's not right, a lot of things go wrong. And it sounds like you really started in the right way with Kathy. So could you talk a bit about what you've learned about working with her? What kinds of issues you two talk about? Do you have any rituals to say to stay close to each other so you're aligned on strategy and plans, culture? So just riff a little bit about that relationship. You know, I had tremendous respect for Kathy um, from the first time I met her when I was at Nike, and and you know, I'd done my research on her. Obviously, she was a new commissioner of the W, and and I remember you know January meeting at at Nike back in January 2020 and and sitting down with her and having a discussion, a very, very open and frank discussion. And she was willing to have that with some marketing kid out of Oregon. What's he know about WNBA basketball? 
And, and she sat down with me for an hour and was willing to have an honest conversation around what I thought the league needed to do that, you know, set the stage for us working together today. Um, and so we had had a few intersections, you know, from that time before I started. Um, and the respect just grew as I saw her, you know, manage, um, you know, from her chair, uh, a, a very, very smart uh, and secure collective bargaining agreement that that allowed for the league to be stable financially for the, you know, for, for a long term, for an eight year term. And that was really important to see that and, and see that that was a priority for her. So you could see that the, the well-being of the league was very, very important to her. This was not you know, something that, that she took lightly. She took this opportunity very, very strongly. And you could see it in the work early. So I come into this job and I recognize that no one's going to outwork her. She is phenomenally aware of all things, not only around the W, but around the NBA and around every other league and around sports and around culture and around purpose. And she has a perspective. And um, I really love the fact that she has a point of view on anything that I would talk to her about. Um, and then she'll allow me a point of view on things that she presents. And, and um, you know, it's, it's a very honest, um, you know, partnership that we have here. And I'm trying to keep up. Uh, she includes me in a lot of conversations. She allows me to sit in on meetings that, you know, I may, I may not be, you know, on the, on the front end invite to, but you know, she says it's important that you come and listen to this conversation because you might get something out of it or you might be able to contribute. And, um, you know, it's very humbling for someone like me to, to be given, you know, access to someone like Kathy and, and listen to you know, how she approaches, you know, everything from, you know, the business aspect of the W to her perspective on, on marketing or on expansion or on, you know, storytelling around athletes. And, and, I give her that opportunity to to weigh in, and I think it's it's a mutual respect of. I think she understands, you know, the the history I've had at Nike, and and she trusts me inherently around, you know, building a team. She's been very very gracious and allowed me to, you know, build a a, a team that I think is is going to take us to the you know to you know for a long way in the future. And and you know she hasn't hesitated in allowing me to do that. So I, the bond continues to to build. As as I perform and my marketing team performs on our behalf, uh, you know the trust continues to to grow. Maybe I'll get a you know some of those marketing dollars uh, added. You know, as a, as a as a former marketer, Jim, you recognize the value of your budget. You're always asking for more. You get a dollar, you want two. You get a hundred million, you want two hundred. You know, as we continue to deliver for Kathy, she's going to recognize the value of our function within the larger scope of the business. And uh, and allow us to do not only more, but you know more creative things. And and she's very bullish on big ideas. She's very bullish on uh, not being traditional in our scope. Coming from Nike, you know that's that's how you stayed ahead at Nike. Is is you had to write the roadmap. You 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 didn't follow anyone else's. And and so I was able to bring some of that, you know, vision to her. And and you know, so far it's 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 been amazing. A lot of fun. She sounds like a great boss. There was. There's a lot you said in there, but the one, the simple thing of inviting you to meetings where you may not be expected to be in. I mean, some of the best training sessions I had as a young leader at P&G was when my boss just said, hey, come to this meeting. You're going to learn something just by watching what goes on in this room. And we shouldn't underestimate the power of that with someone. you, You get to watch how leaders wrestle with decisions, with issues. You, you get an inside view on how the company works, how the league works. It's a powerful thing. It doesn't cost anything. 
But for everyone listening out there, think about who you include in experiences and meetings because it goes a long way in training the next generation of your leadership. Yeah, I think you're bang on. I love that. Let's talk a bit more about brand WNBA. Every brand has its strengths. Every brand has its opportunities. This yeah. is a brand that is a league. We've already talked a bit about that. Tell us how you see your brand's strengths and your brand's opportunities. Our brand represents good. You know, I think um, when I run into people and I tell them, you know, I work for the WNBA, their first response is, oh, my God, I love the WNBA. Really, what do you love about it? Oh, the athletes are great. Like the story, you guys care so much. There's, there's something there. The WNBA, when you, when you wear that orange hoodie around, you're saying more than you like women's basketball. Like you, you align with us from obviously a, uh, an on-court perspective, right? You align with us likely on in social justice, right? In purpose. And I think there's something very special about that. I think you recognize the orange hoodie is, it's a hoodie. So it's cool. It's culturally significant. You recognize that the W has some cultural cachet. And those are all things that are kind of within the DNA of, of the WNBA brand is it's, it's great basketball. The 144 athletes are, are, you know, super culturally relevant and influential and they stand for something and they stand for something larger than the game. And they use the game as a platform. Um, you know, to, to get their voice out there. And I think that brand equity or that brand foundation gives us latitude to do broader storytelling. It gives us an opportunity to reach different marketplaces, um, all the traditional sports ones, and then, you know, some heavy ones on influence. And, and I think that's a unique proposition for us, the W, and, and something that we will continue to lean into and, um, accelerate as we, as we story tell ourselves. And, and it is something that is, um, we're very authentic, I think. And I think we've been very consistent over the 25, approaching 26 years now is that we've always stood for those things, right? We've always stood for amazing basketball starting in 97. Um, and culturally very, very cool. And the sneaker game has been phenomenal. And, and, uh, you know, just how the athletes approach, you know, the ins and outs of every game is, has, has been culturally influential. And they've been, you know, very, very representative on the social justice side for decades. And, and so it's nice to have that, um, that strength and that bandwidth to, to go ahead and, 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 and leverage when we're, you know, attracting new consumers and, and storytelling the bones we have. You know, you brought up purpose and social justice several times, and I really did want to get into that. And this is the right time to do it, I think. It's an amazing organization in terms of how it is tackling issues in our society. These players are culturally relevant. I'd like you to wax a bit on that, Phil. What could others learn from how this organization has evolved and developed to be, I think, an important voice for society at large, the world at large, and some of the biggest issues we face? So you're punching way above your size in terms of the impact you're making. So if you step back from this, what, what could other organizations of all kinds learn from how clear this organization is about your purpose and the issues you care about? It's a big question. Um, I'm not sure if I can answer the question directly, but I'm gonna give you a perspective. The social justice portion of our brand identity is an invitation for a much broader scope of brands to come in and help partner with us, 
and expand that story, right? We now have, you know, tremendous momentum from partner brands. You know, obviously we have the performance in the on-court and the basketball, and that's, that's it's phenomenal, and there's, there's brands. But when Nike comes in and decides they want to storytell, not only they want to talk about shoes and apparel and performance aspects, but they want to get into the, the social justice. That is something that is uniquely ours. And we, th- we take great pride in that. Um, so I think it, it allows us an invitation to bring in different brands and different or the same brands to storytell something different. And mm-hmm. our athletes recognize that. And look, they all want to be seen as the best basketball players in the world because they are. But I think they've been very brave and courageous, as has our 12 teams, as has the league, on allowing them to be the voice and, and not shuttering that opportunity to, to be impactful and to take a position on issues that maybe don't align with everybody. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. They are authentic to who they are, and, and we have the unique privilege to allow them to do so. And, and they've done an amazing job. And when you go back to, you know, what have you learned since you've been in this job? That is, that is something that I thought I knew a little bit of, about, but I now recognize just how important a piece that is to our DNA and our, our, again, point of differentiation versus other sports and entertainment platforms. What is it, what is it about your culture that lets that happen? You know, it, it starts with, with the staff. You know, our, our staff here really embrace you know, the same values and they recognize that they want to attach to a consumer who shares the same values as our athletes. You see the passion, you see the concern, you see the care that this organization has for its athletes and what they are trying to, to say, um, in the world. And, and, um, you know, it, it creates great ideas and, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of part of our DNA as our, our, our team as well is that, we're very much in support of um, of our athletes, and, and we want to help them tell the stories that they want to tell. What do you see as your single greatest challenge right now on brand WNBA? Choice. You know, um, sports in general, I think, is struggling against the on-demand lifestyle of a younger mm-hmm. consumer, right? So I think that's an opportunity if, if you want it to be. Each, each league has its own, you know, foibles in terms of what they're wrestling with. Some leagues have fewer, fewer issues than others. And I think the NFL has just gone through an amazing season of, of, you know, viewership and consumption and engagement. And they've, they've shown that they've, they've, they've made it through again, the last couple of years and, and come out the other side and, and done really, really well. Um, I think the NBA is, is in a really good position, you know, this year as well. And, and, but again, you know, the, Every league has its struggles. I think for us, um, we need to target younger. I think we want to go after a younger consumer and, and share with them, you know, stories beyond the court that will maybe engage and, and drive an emotional connection for reasons other than, you know, pure basketball. I think we'll always have the pure basketball fan. I think they're going to respect and understand the value of the game, competition these athletes play uh, play at or the level they play at and the competition that, that you know, results. Um, but I think what we need to solve for is, is how are we going to, to connect to that younger audience that we're all chasing who may not sit through a two hour game on a Tuesday night in July, right? Who may not decide to buy a ticket, take a train and go into the city for a four hour, you know, event to go watch a a live sporting event. These are things we need to solve for. Uh, they're not uniquely ours, but you know, we're, we're a part of the solution and we're working with, 
other leagues. We're working with agencies to try to you know, understand what are the behaviors that that this you know new younger sports fan wants. I want to talk about your career path for a moment, Bill. One of my takeaways from looking at your career in some depth is you've been part of a mind-boggling number of innovations and many disruptions. And as you talked about your first year here, what you're proud of is your team is innovating, stretching, they're relentless, they're trying new things. A lot of people struggle with that in organizations, especially on established brands. So what have you learned? What insights do you have for those listening who want, to be, who want their organization to be far more relentless and innovative and creative than they are today? How have you and your team made that happen at Nike and now in your early time at the W? I was fortunate to spend many years in, in basketball, and you mentioned that at the onset. Um, you know, Nike basketball has a pretty, pretty significant market share in, in performance basketball, right? Footwear and apparel. And you could spend your efforts, you know, carving out the last 10, 15%, or you could try to build a bigger, bigger audience. And I was given the luxury of, of trying to do the latter. Like, like go find us new consumers rather than trying to convince a competitor, a competitor, uh, a, a fan or a consumer, sorry, wearing competitive product, trying to convince them into ours. Why not just go find another hundred fans and 85 of them are going to wear our product. And that was the brief. Go and build a- So expand the market. Expand yeah. the market, right? Go build a bigger pie. And that was, that gave us the autonomy to unlock different thinking. Um and to, and to stretch into white space and, you know, to those areas. And, and you, you may have seen it, you know, one of them was gaming. Like we recognized yeah. for many, many years at Nike, gaming was a four letter word. Like we're trying to get people not to game. They got to go outside. Like don't sit in your couch and game. And it took us decades at Nike to realize kids are doing both. So let's talk to them while they're on mm -hmm. their game and inspire them to, inter, you know, engage with the brand while they're in their environment and, you know, the, the gaming environment. And that just opened up a ton of eyes and, uh, you know, great partner, like, like, you know, take two with, with NBA 2K was a great partner. So this is the triangulation of, of three brands, the NBA, take two and Nike saying, what can we do to commercialize and engage, you know, these fans while they're in the gaming environment and, and we're able to do some cool stuff. Nike is now charging, you know, very, very quickly into the metaverse. And, and, you know, we're very excited to be on the forefront of that, that work, you know, years ago. Um, I think the women's, you know, the women's consumer was another space that was just, you know, kind of discounted and, and we acquiesced to like, it's, they can just go buy the men's stuff and just size down. And, and, but there was a lot of work to do on less about tech innovation, but more about innovation of, of product and building and, and uh, design. And storytelling, and we did new innovative storytelling on the women's side that that led again. Once you get that female basketball player into the Nike ecosystem, uh, they're going to go shop for other things. And we wanted to just present a, a, an option at Nike to um, again ask our product teams, ask our storytelling teams to think differently around around how to do it. I had a luxury because we were trying to carve out. A new audience, and I think it was a, a it may have been uniquely ours, but I can tell you that it leads to a lot of new thinking across the board with marketers. If you give that opportunity to a small group, they can be on the front end of of some pretty intuitive, some pretty unique 
ideas that could maybe be you know shared elsewhere. I want to flip into the creator brief, the last section of our podcast, and the first question. Do you ever shoot around with these amazing players? Oh, you would not find me within 50 feet. Like, <laughs> like They don't need to see how bad I am. I, I, I would lose all their confidence as a marketer of, of the WNBA if they saw me on a court today. I think in my prime, right, I can tell you this, I averaged a point a minute as a senior in high school. Now, the underlying dig into that, I only played 18 minutes my senior <laughs> year of high school. I, I scored 19 points in 18 minutes. Um, that was the epitome of my statistical abilities in, in basketball. Um, so yeah, no, you wouldn't, I will, I will sit courtside and watch them play, but they will never see me shoot a ball for sure. The most memorable basketball experience in your life. Um, I've had a few, um, been to some Olympics, but I will tell you that, um, when Shaq and Kobe won the championship, won one of the championships in Los Angeles. I was uh, escorted into the locker room for the champagne celebration in the background. And that was pretty cool. For tough to top. Tough to top that one. Uh, look, I've been in some amazing basketball shoots and I've, I've, I've had some amazing times, you know, working with and, and gaining insights from our athletes. But that moment of joy that was, you know, in that locker room and the relief, you could just feel it. Like it was, it was, it was palpable. It was amazing. Most influential business mentor in your life? There was a, uh, I'm going to go back to my days at Bauer. Um, there was a general manager in there by the name of Phil Shirella. And uh, he was big Phil, I was little Phil. And, you know, he was an amazing inventor. He invented the Lang molded hockey skate. I'm going to go back to my hockey skate roots. And he was a visionary. And he just looked at uh, an industry like ice hockey that was so traditional. And he, urged us to think differently about what we could do as a supplier to that industry to turn heads and and to grow the game and to make the game uh, younger and more contemporary. And he was relentless at his urging for us to, to pursue and to be curious and to what if, uh, never satisfied with, with where we are, always moving forward. And, and we didn't see him very often. He worked out of an office in Montreal while we were in Toronto, but he'd come down once a month and he would speak and, you know, you could hear a pin drop. It was just, we we're all just riveted on, on his vision and his guidance and one of the most compassionate people I have ever run into. And the story continues. Uh, I did a couple of years up at Nike Canada, running the marketing department, Nike Canada, and Phil's daughter worked for me at Nike oh, Canada. My. So, you know, I had the, the fortunes of, um, at the time, uh, you know, when Tracy was working for me up in Nike, Canada, her father, Phil had, had passed away, but I was able to tell her stories of the impact that Phil had not only on me, but on the entire Bauer family and the entire hockey industry at, uh, as a whole, because he urged all of the industry to move forward and, and to keep thinking and keep innovating. And, and the impact he had on, on what you see on the ice today is um, you know, unforgettable. So he was one of the most influential. That's a beautiful story, Phil. Who's the most inspiring person who has been the most inspiring person in your life? I think the most influential person growing up, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do too. My parents, you know, my dad had a work ethic that was second to none. Um, had what amazing. Was his, what was his work? What was his he work? He was an engineer. He worked for GE his entire career. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, 45 years working for General Electric. And he um, was really, really good at his job. And he just went into work every day, didn't complain a day. 
um, had amazing stories to tell around his successes and, and, uh, but he would never promote it. Um, he was a phenomenal man because he trusted all of, all of us. He gave us tremendous latitude to live our best lives, knowing that we were going to make good decisions because, you know, we, we saw him make good decisions every single day. My mother, one of the funniest people I ever knew, um, she was honest. She didn't trust us. She, she pushed us and she, <laughs> she checked our work and she made sure we were in a curfew and she made sure that we were following the right road. And between the two of them, the balance was so incredibly beneficial for me that I, I take those characteristics of storytelling and trust and humor. My mom was so funny. I take, you know, those aspects of, of who they were as individuals. And I try to infuse that approach to how I live my life, you know, personally and at work. I, you know, it's, it's, I want to work hard, but I want to have fun doing it. I, I want to storytell, but I want to encourage and trust my team to do, you know, the job that they're capable of doing. Phil, your discussion on family. I mean, I'm one of six children. My parents have passed away. I had a brother who passed away. So it rings true to me. And I just want to ask you, did you watch Coach K at Duke? Did you watch hit the ceremony after the last game at Cameron and how, how he spoke about his life, his friends, his family. I mean, I, I was very moved by that. Right. And, and you realize it, it takes time before you mature to recognize and, and, you know, not everyone, you know, expresses it the same way or, or, you know, makes their decisions solely based on, on, on that. But I do now, I, I think I'm up at a point in my career where I want I want to do amazing work for amazing people and, and impact the world as, as best I can. And I want to make sure that my family, you know, feels good about the work I do and, and, um, and are proud of me and, and, you know, I have time for them and that's really, really important for me as well. Um, is that I, I, and again, that's the luxury of working here. Kathy's been phenomenally gracious with allowing us, you know, she recognizes the value of, of family and, and, and personal time and space. So I, I'm, I could be more fortunate to be in the role I'm in right now. You're in the right job, my friend. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Phil, this has been just marvelous. Thank you. Thank you for this oh, discussion. My I'm, I'm humbled that, that I, was, I was on your list. And look, I've seen some of the names that you've spoken with historically, and I don't belong in that, uh, in that Mount Rushmore, and, and I don't know if I ever will, but it's inspiring to know that um, you know, you think there's someone out there who wants to, uh, you know, to hear what I have to say. So I'm, I'm humbled and, and thankful for that. You belong in that Mount Rushmore. Maybe one day. And this, and this conversation lived up to it. So thanks again, Phil. And I, hey, let's go to a game sometime. You, you pick it. I got a guy. I can probably get us a ticket. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You let me know. Let's do it. I look forward to that. All right, that'd be great. Thanks so much, Jim. That was my conversation with Phil Cook. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand or life. The first one is the power of a great mentor. We all have the ability to do that. We talk about mentorship a lot on this show, but this was the way Phil spoke about a mentor early in his career at Bauer. The lessons from that mentor stayed with Phil for his entire life and the whole power of expanding someone's imagination, asking what if versus putting them in a box. Second takeaway, the CMO and CEO relationship. In Phil's case, it's the commissioner, Kathy, they took the time to understand each other, talk to each other, build a strong relationship, and they are on the same page, which is great for the WNBA, great for the players, and for everyone on their team. 
third takeaway, I loved how Phil talked about how a league is different from a brand and that you make decisions based on the players, the team, and the fans and customers. That's a lesson for all of us. We need to think more about our teams, our customers, and everyone in our ecosystem and doing things that engage and excite all of them. And last bonus, the importance of family. Phil talked about the most important mentors in his life as his parents. He talked about his wife and boys moving to New York and how they did that. They made that decision together. You know, this guy is, uh, puts his family first, and there's great lessons in that for all of us. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.